Blog Talk Radio. I'm going to a city that's set on a hill. Its ruler and maker is the Lord God above. Oh, I'm going to a city and it's set on a hill. And someday I'll be in heaven and there'll be no sorrow there. Hello, everybody. God bless you today. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. This is Susan Puzio, and I want to welcome you to the Prophetic News Radio broadcast on Blog Talk Radio. And we have a very special guest with us today, Steve Lumley of Apostasy Watch. And we are going to tear down some strongholds today, and some very alarming doctrines. I find it very alarming. Um, The uh, Nephilim teaching and the interest in the Book of Enoch, which I personally believe is an occult book uh, and it has nothing to do with the Bible. So, Really what prompted this show is some friends of mine, uh, good friends really, uh, were uh, starting to get involved and interested in the Nephilim teaching and the Book of Enoch. And uh, I was a little alarmed when I saw some information about... uh, Reptiles, reptilian people. <laughs> you know, it's it's the twilight zone. It's the twilight zone. Let me put it to you that way. It's like it's science fiction. It doesn't exist. And um, there's some people uh, who have put up videos, I guess, on YouTube and uh, have uh, come with this theory that uh, some people are actually reptiles that they, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's so hard to believe that anybody, any Bible believing Christian would even want to delve into these things and then to actually start believing them. But uh, there's one person on the internet and uh he has a ministry, so-called, but he puts up this video with, and he's got like a green person on the video, and it looks like somebody from outer space, and he's saying that this person, this green being actually uh, goes into human beings, and, and they don't know that the person is going into them and, and taking over their personality. Uh, I don't, you know, Stick with the Bible. Uh, just stick with the Bible. Don't read things into the Bible that aren't there. We have to realize that we are in the end times, and the devil is a deceiver. He's a liar, and he wants to deceive you and get you off into these strange doctrines. It's like the Bible says, "Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? And many, many people have been bewitched, I believe, 
by these teachings. I'm just going to go over a couple things here uh, before I bring Steve on, some interesting things that um, I found out. Now, let, let's Acts 17.26 says that we're of one blood. So there's no bloodlines of the Illuminati. And uh, I remember one time somebody came out with this book, Bloodlines of the Illuminati, and uh, I read a couple of chapters of this book a few years ago, and I'm saying to myself, how does this guy know everything? He knows conversations. Uh, who? Nobody's in my house listening to my conversations. So how does he know what people are saying in their houses? And uh, it, it's just beyond belief. But um, anyway, remember Acts 17.26 says uh, we are – of one blood. Also in in this book of Enoch, uh, they say that Enoch uh, um, was 500 years old. Uh, And of course the Bible says that Enoch was 365 years old in Genesis 5.23. He lived 365 years, but yet in the book of Enoch, 60, chapter 60, it says Enoch's 500th year. So who are you going to believe? Uh, Are you going to believe the book of Enoch or are you going to believe the Bible? Also, it says that uh, they had these giants and they were, one one, uh, so-called Bible teacher says they were 30 feet high and then in the book of Enoch, I guess there are 3,000 L's, E-L-L-S, tall. And uh, they say that they're 30 feet tall or a mile high. So if these Nephilim really had children with human beings, how did a human woman manage to carry this monster in her stomach? Oh, please. I, I can't. <laughs> I don't know. Also... They have a name for an angel in the book of Enoch, Uriel, U-R-I-E-L. There's no such angel in the Bible. Uriel, and if you and if you do a search, I did this morning, the warlock, horrible person, Alistair Crowley, a very well-known warlock, he talks about the angel Uriel. So that's where the angel Uriel comes from. And also James Bruce, who was the person that supposedly discovered the book of Enoch, uh, uh, someone who liked him very much is a woman by the name of Helena Blavonsky, which was a very well-known occultist who Hitler loved. And... um, Anyway, there's the association with them. So um, the Book of Enoch is a Gnostic book. Uh, We'll probably, when Steve comes on, we'll probably talk a little bit about Gnosticism and what is Gnosticism, mysticism. And uh, this is a book that's loved by occultists. Um, They love the Book of Enoch. Uh, They love to deceive you. And uh, so those are a couple of the things that I came up with uh, doing some research 
the Book of Enoch is a, is in the Semitic language also, which is from the Essenes, which is a Gnostic sect. So, uh, like I said, Madame Blavonsky and this James Bruce uh, were associated, and she was a member of the Golden Dawn and a colleague of Aleister Crowley, the warlock. So those are some of the things that I came up with. And remember, Revelation 21.8 says that, uh, the, um, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of uh, power, love, and a sound mind. And these teachings uh, cause people to fear. They they bring um, fear on people. And uh, we're not supposed to be afraid uh, of Nephilim and uh, this other foolishness. So anyway, let me see if this is Steve. I think this is Steve. Is this Steve? Yes, it is. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Hi, Steve. Hey, Susan. <laughs> Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you on. Thank you so very much uh, for coming on today. I know that we had done a show like this previously about two or three years ago, I guess. But anyway, I wanted to revisit it because, uh, like I said before, some friends of mine got involved in this and um it was very disturbing to me um how far fetched uh it is especially when i was looking at this reptilian them talking about people turning into reptiles and then they talk about uh astral proje- uh, projection and and they go from they actually leave their home and they go traveling uh not bodily but through the spirit world and then they they talk about this Mandela effect and so it's just uh, a very very strange thing that's happening and and hard to believe that people actually are buying into this well yeah you're right and I I listened to some of what you were talking about at the beginning of the show there and and you're absolutely right Uh, the underlying uh, themes of these things, and it, it, this is true in both uh, the the Book of Enoch and this idea of these hybrid human Nephilim. Uh, really, the underlying theme of this is an attempt to shift the blame for man's sin onto other beings, such as angels. And uh, the Bible is very clear that man is responsible for his own sin. But both of these both of these things tend to shift the blame for that onto other beings. Obviously, if you buy into the uh, human hybrid Nephilim theory that that fallen angels mated with human women and produced some hybrid offspring, then you're you're accepting the idea that well then all the evil that was in the world at the time of Noah wasn't really man's fault it was really because of these fallen angels 
that caused all this. And and you see this in a lot of the writing and literature these days that even claiming that human DNA was corrupted by these fallen angels, and that's why God had to wipe out uh, humanity, and Noah and his family was the only uh, bloodline. You mentioned bloodlines earlier. I've seen this, that Noah and his family were the only bloodline that had not been corrupted by this foreign or fallen angel DNA. And it really undermines what the Bible says about uh, why God destroyed the world. Uh, it's very clear. In, in Genesis 6, uh, verses 6 and 7, it says, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. But it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, there's nothing in there to suggest that fallen angels or demons or any other being had anything to do with this other than uh, man himself. It was man's own wickedness in, in, in man's own heart uh, that, that caused this and caused God to repent or be sorry for ever making man. And it was Noah's righteousness by faith that commended him to God and caused God to save him and his family. And we can get, well, we'll get in, I'll get into some of this in a little bit more detail here as we go. I guess if you want to, we can just go ahead and start with this Nephilim uh, idea and, yeah. and go through some of this, and then we'll we'll get to the book of Enoch, if that's if that's okay yeah, with you. Yeah, that's great, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, you know, this, this whole Nephilim idea, and uh, you, you mentioned some of the things now that we're getting – uh, that we see all the time in alternative media where we hear about scientists are making hybrid humans and uh, somehow making beings, entities that are part human and part animal, and supposedly with a lot of people that this is going to lead to the return of the Nephilim or that this was uh, somehow what was going on back in the days of Noah. Uh, but I, really, the, I don't believe that the Bible uh, teaches that at all. Uh, the idea that Nephilim were somehow hybrid beings uh, is based really on what I believe is one misinterpretation of Scripture, uh, and that is the the definition of the term sons of God. Yeah. Uh, in Genesis 6-2, it says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and that and they took them wives of all which they chose. Now, some people believe that the term there, sons of God, can only mean angelic beings. And, and they base that on the same phrase which is used in Job 1.6, which mm -hmm. says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Now, it's it's pretty clear that in, in Job we're talking about some type of spirit beings, be it the angels or some other created but spirit being that is appearing before God in heaven. Okay, that's, I'll, I'll grant you that in Job that's what it's talking about. Okay. But that does not necessarily mean that the term sons of God must be used in that way. Um in in uh in Genesis in in fact 
the term sons of God is used in a number of, of different uh, places in the Bible, some of which are obviously talking about men, human beings, and not angelic beings. But uh, if we look, and, and of course, first of all, I, I reject the idea that sons of God in Genesis 6 refers to angelic beings. I reject that because there are, there are specific scriptures which would preclude that possibility. See, when you see the Bible says the sum of thy word is truth, and yeah. so we get in trouble when we take a particular verse and make a doctrine out of that, yeah. and fail to reconcile verses which would contradict or preclude that possibility. And I think that's the case here. The idea that sons of God taking wives from human women and sons of God being angelic or spirit beings. Uh, are precluded by a couple of verses specifically spoken by Jesus. Uh, one of them being John 3, 6, where Jesus said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Now, in my view, that precludes the idea of any combining of the two, which is exactly what the proponents of this Nephilim idea want you to believe. Further, in uh, Matthew twenty-two thirty, Jesus said, talking about human beings in the resurrection. You know, the Jews had come to him and asked him this, tried to trick him with a question about a woman who uh, was married to a man and she died, and uh, or he died, and she married his brother, and he died, and she married the other brother, and then asked in the resurrection whose wife will she be. And Jesus said, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven which, again, that uh, seems to specify that angels are asexual beings, that they, are, uh, that they do not uh, reproduce or have the capability of reproducing in the way that humans do. They have no need for that. Uh, and, and I don't see anything in Scripture that would change that for fallen angels. Uh, if fallen angels are those who have rebelled uh, against God, I don't see anything in Scripture that would then allow them to take on some human attribute yeah. uh, that they don't normally have as spirit beings. Now, yeah. if you want to say that uh, these fallen angels influenced men upon the earth, um, I'll buy that. Okay, I you know, demons can have influence over people. They do today. There's no reason to think that they didn't have influence over people uh, during the time before the flood, whether you call that oppression or possession. Uh, but even in that, we're talking about humans coming together to, to make uh, children. And I, I think if we, if we look at in the... In the uh, in the scriptures, and, and look at a few word definitions and this sort of thing. I think we can see this here. Uh, okay. First of all, in, in Genesis 6, 4, uh, it says there were giants, and that is the Hebrew word nephil, where we get nephilim. It says there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, that means strong, 
which were of old men of renown. And the word renown there means uh, men of fame or glory. Yeah. But but the, the sticking point goes back to this word giants, which is from the Hebrew word nephil, or where we get nephilim. Now, there is... Uh, there's a, a, a meaning to this word which properly means essentially a bully or a tyrant. Yeah. Right. Uh, now, it's also uh, it, it, it also has a meaning of a faller or one who falls upon. In, in other words, if, if you are attacked by a group of tyrants or ruffians, you can say they fell upon you. That is the meaning that this this term has uh, in in Hebrew. It's it's from a, the a root word nafal, n a p h a l, which means to fall, literally fall or be cast down, or to cause to fall, or to throw down. Now some have taken this to mean that these are fallen angels or fallen beings. There's nothing in this, however, that would indicate that the term fallen should be applied to a spirit being rather than to a human. Uh, we, we, and we Remember, humans are in a fallen condition. Um, and in, in fact, in the uh, Jesenius uh, Hebrew lexicon, uh, he wrote that uh, some have rendered this uh, uh, great, uh, the word nephil, some have rendered it to mean great or large in size, large in body, but he felt that was incorrect because it really means excellent or noble or skillful. Uh, and, and he said that the Hebrew interpreters uh, interpret this as falling upon or attacking. So, uh, again, there's, a, there's a, a difference in opinion of how you interpret this. I believe the idea that this applies this word falling or falling upon applies to spirit beings, and thus these are gigantic, large in size, fallen angels. I think that's a misinterpretation, uh, which has led to this whole idea and this whole doctrine of human-angelic hybrids. And again, as I said before, the underlying theme there is removing the blame for sin from man and placing it upon these these fallen beings. It's interesting to note that the that that the word uh, uh giant uh this same word giant nephil is also used in numbers 1333 where the Israel the, the Jewish spies went into the promised land in Canaan and they came back with an evil report <coughs> Pardon me. It, which says that um, uh, in Numbers 13:33 it says, "There we saw the giants again, same word, Nephil, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight." Now, a couple of things to note here: no one that I know of uh, is willing to interpret this as the people in Canaan were some type of human angelic fallen angel hybrid the 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 spies were simply saying we were we felt like grasshoppers in their sight now they may have been large physically although that's not even clear 
that these were uh, the sons of Anak were large physically. But I don't know of anyone who wants to interpret this the same way as they do that term uh, in Genesis 6-4. I think it's very important that we be consistent in interpretation. So when we see it in numbers, we don't think of it as uh, some type of human spirit fallen angel hybrid. We just think of it as them saying, wow, these are big people and they're more powerful than us. They're stronger than us and we can't, we can't take this land. Um, there are other uses of the term giant uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, it's interesting to note, though, that in at least one case, in the case of Goliath and his brothers, yeah. who it, it specifically tells us uh, how big G Goliath was. What was it? Six cubits in a span, and you know his spear was like a weaver's beam, and, and this sort of thing. So he was obviously a very physically large human. But the term giant is never used for Goliath or his brothers. Uh, it, the word champion is used. He was the champion of the Philistine. But the, the word giant, in this sense, Nephil, is never used for him. Uh, the other one in the Old Testament that's known as a giant is uh, Og, the king of Bashan. He is described as a giant, the term giant, but the Hebrew word is different. In his case, the Hebrew word is Rapha, meaning uh, from the Raphaim, which was a tribe of large people that lived in Canaan. So here we have a case of the Hebrew word Rapha uh, interpreted or uh, translated, I should say, Rapha translated in the King James Bible as giant. Uh, but it's not the same word as Nephil, which is also translated as giant back in Genesis. So what we see again, Og is described as a very large person. Uh, he is described as a giant, but using a different Hebrew word. So basically, this Nephil, we, we do not see this elsewhere. The other thing I would point out is that in the case of Goliath, his brothers, and Og, um, all of these giants uh, are large human beings, uh, appeared in the narrative, in the, the biblical narrative, after the flood. So uh, I've heard of many yeah, people right. propose the idea that God sent the flood because he had to rid humanity of this, uh, this <laughs> bad DNA, <laughs> get these giants out of here, we, we can't have that anymore, but yet here we have giants again uh, after the flood. And, and yeah. so... Apparently, whatever God did to wipe out humanity because of that didn't work because, I guess, what, the angel, these fallen angels came back and again? Maybe they were hiding on the ark. Yeah, maybe so. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, the, the, when you think about this logically, and, and I, I insist that God gave us common sense and logical uh, logic for a reason, and, and we should use that, uh, and unfortunately, too often we don't use our common sense when it comes to these things. Uh, it, it does not make sense that these uh, Nephilim in Genesis account would be um, fa fallen angels. And uh, so, you know, there we see the uses of the of the word giant. Now, you ask, well, if it doesn't mean giants or hybrid humans, 
then then what does this mean? Well, I think there's a very simple explanation for what is get, trying to get across to us here when it says that the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, and these children became mighty men, uh, men of renown. I think it's merely a differentiation between godly people and ungodly people. I believe from the very beginning, uh, and we see this in the earth, in the earth today. We have in the earth, as you know, not everyone, not every human being is a quote unquote child of God, according to Scripture. The true children of God are those who have been redeemed by Christ, who have believed on Christ and been born again of the Spirit. These are the children of God. Those who have not been born again by the Spirit of God are not God's children. They are part of God's creation, uh, and they are certainly descended from Adam, as we all are. But we see in the earth today, I fully believe, that there is a godly line and an ungodly line. And I think we see that back from the beginning. Now, this goes back to, uh, of course, even before the law. But in the law, when, when, when the Lord spoke to the children of Israel and told them not to marry, not to take wives and husbands from among the heathens, um, yeah. it wasn't any kind of a racial thing or anything like that. What he was trying to do was keep the godly line intact and not mix with heathens or pagans. We saw the result of that with, say, for example, Solomon, uh, who took hundreds of wives from pagans, and, and his wives turned his heart from the Lord. And he began worshiping as a pagan and that sort of thing. So this is the danger, and I think this is what the, the, the message is here. Uh, all the way back in Genesis, that the the sons of God, the godly line, uh, began to see the women, uh, Gentile, if you will, if you want to use that term, or pagan women, those who were not among the godly line, and took them for wives. And um, uh, if we, and let's just examine that. Let's examine that idea for a moment from from Scripture. Do you mind if I go on here, or do you have any no, questions? No, great. Oh, I'm kind of dominating here, so if you no, I want you to dominate. That's fine because I want people to get get the one thought. So I okay, go on. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Now let's get back to this idea of there being a godly line and an ungodly line of people in the earth. Okay. If we go back uh, to Genesis four sixteen, after Cain has killed Abel. And God confronted Cain about this and put a mark on him. It says, Genesis 4.16, it said that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. And he began, uh, or he beget sons and daughters. Uh, so Cain clearly left the presence of the Lord and began to have children, essentially, outside the presence of the Lord. Uh, and it gives the lineage of Cain here and his children and children's children. And one of his descendants uh, named Lamech, Lamech is even pointed out as a murderer, uh, just like Cain was. Uh, but in, in Genesis 4.26, we see that after Seth was born to Adam, and, you know, Seth was essentially the replacement for Abel, 
God gave them a new son named Seth. And in Genesis 4.26, it says, uh, Seth was born to Adam, and then Seth begat Enos, and then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, I believe the implication here is that those who are descended here from Seth and Enos then became essentially the godly line of people in the earth that God had continued to speak to man, mankind and continued to give them instruction in some manner which we don't fully understand or comprehend now. You know, I don't want to get too far off here, but going back to Cain and Abel, uh, God gave Cain and Abel instructions for sacrifice, that they had to do sacrifices to repent of their sins, and Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's wasn't. So God was clearly communicating with them in some manner as to what was required of them. Yeah. I think we see the same thing here when it says, uh, after Seth begat Enos and men began to call upon the name of the Lord, uh, I believe the implication there is clearly that this line from Seth and Enos was godly, as opposed to Cain, who went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, if we also go then to uh, move forward a little bit to Genesis chapter 5, uh, we, we see some other verses that I think are, are somewhat telling. Genesis 5.1 says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Now, this is simply a restating of what is stated earlier when God first created Adam and said, let us create man in our own image, in our likeness. So, again, it restates the idea that God had made Adam in his image. And in verse 3 it says, And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image, and called his name Seth. Now, again, I, I think this, and I'm, I'm not going to create an absolute doctrine on this, but I think there's an implication here that Seth was uh, in the image of Adam as Adam was in the image of God. And I don't think we see that implication as it applies to Cain and his descendants, who are outside the presence of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. That's kind of okay. like where that they, they also developed then that serpent seed doctrine from uh, Cain. Yeah, yeah. That that whole and again that's that's another you know, falsehood reading something into into the scripture about Cain being born of uh, a liaison between uh Eve and the serpent, and that's that's not that's not anywhere in scripture. But the the, the idea that here here's what I, I want to make clear about that the the serpent seed doctrine specifically speaks to the idea that Eve had relations with the serpent in some form or fashion, and thus conceived Cain. Um, I absolutely reject that as being non scriptural at all. Now, the idea that Satan, represented by the serpent, has a line of people or has a seed in the earth uh, is biblical. Now, uh, this, is, uh, this is spiritually speaking, not physically speaking. 
But because God said to the serpent, he said, I will put enmity between her seed and your seed, which would indicate that the serpent has a seed or a line in the earth. Uh, Jesus said something similar to the Jewish religious leaders when they said, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said, no, if Abraham was your father, you'd, you'd believe me. He said, your father is the devil. Your father was a liar from the beginning, and you do the works of your father, the devil. So spiritually speaking, uh, it, it is biblical, I believe, to understand that there is, again, it's the same idea I spoke up earlier, this separation between godly people and ungodly people. Godly right, people, but we're not saying that people had, uh, in, had sex with the devil. Because some people correct. say that. They say, I, I was the I bride of Satan. And, and I, I, I think, again, <laughs> uh, please pardon the, uh, the sound effects here. I, I live on a pretty busy street, and there's a fire station right down the street from us. So I yeah. get this a couple of times a day. But uh, We don't no, want anybody uh, to think that that's what we're saying here. Yeah. That's again, not what we're saying. Me, thanks for bringing that out. Because, again, let me go back to what Jesus said. That which is born of spirit is spirit, and that which is born of flesh is flesh. Jesus made the distinction between being born physically and being born again. Born again, right, right. And specifically That's what said, we're saying. That's what when we're Nicodemus saying. said, well, what, how can I be born again? He said, no, you don't understand. I'm talking about spiritually. So what we're talking about here is we're talking about spiritually everyone has a spirit father, and it's either God the true God, Jehovah, through his son, Christ Jesus, and through faith in him, or your father spiritually is the devil. It does right. not mean any type of physical contact, physical birthing, or physical relationship. It is a spiritual relationship uh, that you have, to, you have to understand it in those terms. So that's what we're talking about here, really. And, and again, going back to... Um, Genesis 6, 2, and 4, where it talks about the sons of God seeing the daughters of men. I absolutely believe that what God is laying out here is the distinction between godly people, those who called upon the name of the Lord, and those who didn't, and the intermingling of, of those two. We, we, we see this prohibition in the law of Moses when it talks about not taking wives from among the Gentiles and the pagans. We see the same thing in the New Covenant when it says, don't yeah. be unequ unequally yoked with unbelievers. And we, right. we all understand that to mean that you should not marry an unbeliever, that if you're a believer, if you're, you're a Christian and, and Jesus is your Lord, that you should not marry someone who's an unbeliever. I Everybody understands that. So this well, is when you read I that, think, when you read that uh, chapter in context, even that's what it's saying. When you read the yep. whole thing in context, you, and you don't just pull out one verse and make a doctrine out of it, that's Absolute. what it's saying. It says in verse five, right after that, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, um, you know, again, this comes down to this idea, this misinterpretation, I believe, of the term sons of God and assuming that that must be uh, spirits, fallen angels, uh, angelic beings, and, and believing that in the face of 
contradictory scriptures which would preclude that possibility from being. I, I think that's a, I think that's a real mistake uh, that a lot of people make these days. And uh, unfortunately, we 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 don't really have much good in-depth teaching in the churches today. And and this is this is one of the results of it is that people latch on to these kind of ideas uh, without thinking them through, without really studying them through, without looking at a consistent application of Scripture, because they haven't been taught to apply Scripture in a consistent manner. Uh, so they latch on to these crazy, wild ideas uh, that, that, that tickle the ears and uh, uh, stimulate the senses with this sort of science fiction type reading of uh, ancient history, and then they interpolate that into a futurism of, okay, now so scientists are going to create these human hybrids, and this is going to be the Nephilim. And, and then there's those also who uh, put this together with UFOs and uh, that sort of thing. So it just if we would just stick to what Scripture says, you know, it's real simple. Uh, we all have a tendency in our human nature towards sin. And if that's unchecked, we will sin, and we will do exactly what men did before the flood, and the thoughts of our heart will be evil continually, and violence will fill the earth, and that is a human condition not caused by uh, foreign or angelic or spirit beings, in my view. And and let me just go a little further in this. This is something that, and I know you've seen this because you and I came out of the same type of background, the charismatic, Pentecostal, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Don't you don't you agree that that in that that area of the church, that uh, that leg of the church, if you will. There is way, way too much emphasis put on demons uh, and and demons affecting human behavior. Would oh you yeah, agree with we were so afraid. I was I, I was so afraid. The whole uh, word of faith teaching was it was they were always telling us that uh, we shouldn't have fear and God didn't give us fear, but they were always putting fear on us. Exactly, exactly, and not only that. But every possible sin you can imagine was always attributed to a demon. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're a man and you have any issue with lust at all, it's a demon of lust. Well, I've got news for you. No, it's not a demon of lust. It's your own wicked heart. Yeah. And, and we have to put to death our human nature. We have to lay it on the altar. We have to die daily. Uh, this is all part of taking up our cross. Uh, and following Christ and denying self. When the Bible talks about denying yourself, uh, I mean, that's primarily what it's talking about, denying yourself the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. But virtually every lustful desire, and I'm, I'm, I use that term lust not only in a sexual way, but lust being a craving for anything. You know, it could be food. Gluttony is a great sin. Uh, anything like that. Those all are sins of the flesh. They are common to man. Uh, they are common to your heart, and 
frankly, uh, you don't need a demon to lead you <laughs> off into the lusts of your heart. There's plenty of it there for you. But, it, see, it's again, let's get back to this idea that we talked about. It, that is the continuation of this idea of laying blame somewhere other than it should be. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I learned coming out of the religious system uh, 20, yeah, 20 something years ago now is that I had to take responsibility for my own shortcomings. Yeah. Uh, even, even being involved in the word of faith, yeah. prosperity gospel for as many years as I was, uh, I had to take a, a level of responsibility for that. And the reason was, the reason why I followed it, that, and, and of course, again, I don't want to take away any of the fault of deceiving false teachers. False teachers are deceivers, and they will uh, pay a price for their for their deceit and leading people astray. However, uh, we also have responsibility in that. And, and the reason, what I believe God showed me, the reason that I followed that for years was I wanted those things that that false gospel promised. Yes. Because of the covetousness in my heart. Yes. And again, it doesn't take a demon. Covetousness is something that is common to mankind. So when you start talking about and giving people what seem to be biblical validation for the covetousness of their heart, well, yeah, that, hey, they're going to go along with it. I mean, I, I can remember very clearly one of the things that got me hooked into Bob Tilton's message was he was teaching a a series on uh, biblical laws of prosperity, biblical laws of success. That's what it was, biblical laws of success. And I had recently, right before we were first introduced to Tilton, uh, I had taken a seminar, a business seminar, that basically was saying the same kind of thing. And yeah. it was Bob giving me scriptural validation for this. Well, hey, I'm in. Why didn't yeah. anybody tell me this before? This is great. Yeah. So when I came out of that and began to see that, that truly following the Lord is about self-denial, uh, not self-aggrandizement or, or uh, you know, making your dreams come, all your dreams come true, uh, <laughs> I began to see that, that I was responsible for that. And in the same way, we when we blame demons uh, for all of our ills, we fail to take responsibility. And therefore, uh, you know, you can't repent for something that you don't believe you're responsible for. Yeah. You know, true repentance requires you saying, yeah, <laughs> I'm a sinner. I did wrong. It was the covetousness of my heart uh, that I was feeding by listening to that stuff and going along with it. In the face of contradictory evidence. So, uh, anyway, I I guess this does all kind of tie into, you know, what we're talking about here today, and that removing the, removing the blame and placing it, placing it elsewhere. So, yeah, that's a great point, really, because we, I, I think that's kind, it it explains the condition uh, in the church today. What we're seeing is that uh, people aren't reading the word; they're not taking responsibility for spending time in the word like they should, and then they are uh, 
full of lust as far as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the the pride of life, the accumulation of things, and uh, the so-called church, for the most part, is teaching that, that uh, this is what it means to be successful and to have all your dreams come true, uh, accumulate wealth, and uh, have bigger and better. And so that seems to be, to me, it seems to be an open door, really, for the Antichrist and the teachings of uh, the, uh, in the end times when Jesus said that uh, many will come in my name and uh, will teach these false doctrines and lead people astray. And we're seeing so many people being led astray, and then they open themselves up to these kind of science fiction things where, of course, we see that uh, uh, these movies, uh, when they talk about outer space, I can uh, E.T. and then uh, Uh Star Wars and all these things. And these things are very popular with people. Absolutely. And so we're seeing the same thing in the church today. Uh, uh, People like Chuck Missler and the Steve Quayle and these other people doing these seminars, Tom Horn and putting them, they've become very popular. And they write these extensive volumes on this. They go on and on and on. And they take basically from Genesis 6. It it is amazing to me. You know, and and I'll I'll mention this again uh, later on, but uh, uh, you know, in Titus it warns us not to be taken in by Jewish fables, and uh, a lot of this goes back to Jewish mysticism. Kabbalah. I'll get into that a little bit yeah. more in the Book of Enoch. But one more thing I, I just wanted to point out here uh, on this is, you know, we're talking about how the misinterpretation of of Genesis, the term sons of God, uh, leads people to wrong conclusions and leads them to pass blame uh, onto these other angelic beings. And again, as I said, God destroyed man on the earth because the wickedness of man was great and the thoughts and imaginations of his heart was evil continually, with no mention of any type of demonic influence at all. But no. the alternative to that, and and the reason that God saved Noah, says God uh, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Again, this does not have anything to do with Noah's bloodline being contaminated or uncontaminated by fallen beings. What it says in Hebrews eleven seventeen, it says by faith. Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. You see, so uh, again, this uh, throughout Scripture, we have this, this common thread of righteousness by faith. He became an heir of righteousness, how? By faith, not because of who his daddy was, not because of his bloodline, none of that. It was by faith in Christ, him looking forward to the coming of Christ. In Second uh, Peter describes Noah, uh, it says, uh, And God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. Yeah. So here was Noah. Noah walked by faith, 
He was a preacher of righteousness. It was all about his heart condition. It had absolutely nothing to do with his physical birth, DNA, none of that kind of stuff. And again, this is uh, the lack of good, solid biblical teaching, I believe, in the churches today. Uh, oh, yeah. Caused people to err and not understand the difference between flesh and spirit. And, and they tend to see things only with their fleshly eyes. And they tend to uh, interpret things only by the flesh. And th- I was having a conversation with a brother here recently who he's a little bit tied up into some of the Hebrew root stuff, although he kind of denies the Hebrew root, but, but he still thinks that, well, we need to physically keep the Sabbath and this sort of thing. And, I, you know, Paul said, hey, look, if you want to keep a day, keep a day. If you don't, that's okay, too. Let everyone be persuaded. So I, I'm not being condemning about this, but, but he was having a real problem seeing the spiritual fulfillment of those Old Testament physical uh, things, that, which were actually, even though they were in the physical realm, the Bible says they were types and shadows. You see, the the spiritual is the true fulfillment of that. And and I believe it's because the spiritual is eternal. The, this physical is only temporal. All yeah. of this physical world is going to be gone. Our physical bodies are going to be gone. They're going to dissolve back into the dust. And we are going to be raised up in a new spiritual body that is eternal. So we, the eternal fulfillment of these things is what is really important, uh, not going back and trying to reconstitute these things in some sort of fleshly fleshly form. So Yeah. So let's talk about the Book of Enoch now. What did you uh, come up with there? Well, and, and I heard you talking earlier at the beginning of the show. You're, you're absolutely right on, on those things, uh, and I'll just add a little bit to that, of course, the book of Enoch is what's known as a pseudepigraphal work. And, and what that means, pseudepigraphal, uh, merely means that it is uh, the authorship is falsely attributed to Enoch. Uh, even the most staunch defenders of the book of Enoch will admit that it was not written by Enoch. Uh, now, that's the first red flag to anyone who thinks that the book of Enoch is, is worth studying. It was not written by Enoch. There's no way it could have been written by Enoch. Obviously, the books of the Bible that are accepted as the canon of inspired by the Holy Spirit, the book of Matthew was written by Matthew, Mark by Mark, John by John, Luke by Luke. Uh, We have uh, corroboration of that not only in the Bible but in extra-biblical resources. Luke wrote the book of Acts. Again, that's all corroborated by not only the Bible but other sources uh, Enoch did not write this this volume that we have that's known as the Book of Enoch. Now, there's actually several uh, books of Enoch out there. Uh, the one that is most prominent is known as First Enoch or One Enoch. Um, that that book was uh, apparently it was uh, known somewhat uh, in the early second century by some of the early church fathers, but it was it was essentially lost to history until um, the late 1700s. The, this fellow named Bruce, I believe you mentioned, uh, yeah. Bruce, 
1773 found a complete copy of this book of Enoch in Ethiopia and it was it was in the Ethiopian language and it was being used as part of an Ethiopian it was it was included in what a bible that the Ethiopians were using he brought back three copies of this and had it uh translated from Ethiopian into English and apparently it had been originally Greek to Ethiopian and then then to English um it 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 consists of it was it was probably originally written in Hebrew uh scholars believe it consists of uh some revelations purported purportedly given to Enoch and even Noah uh, but it is pseudepigraphal in that we know that Enoch didn't write it, and it is believed to have been a first or early second century written document. So again, many, many centuries after Enoch actually lived. Uh, and of course, if you think about it, again, uh, if we use a little common sense here, which is not always so common, uh, Enoch lived before the flood. Uh, if if he had written it, and if this was actually Enoch's uh, thoughts and ideas, it would have had to have survived the flood. We have no record of any written material uh, that comes down to us prior to the great flood. Noah would have had to have it with him on the boat, uh, which is, I suppose, possible, but it's, there's, no, there's no way of corroborating that. There's no evidence of that at all. And then the other issue you have is, you know, what language did they speak on the earth before the flood? What language would it have been written in, and how could it possibly have been uh, interpreted? Or, or um, uh, what's the? I'm I'm losing my word here. Uh, uh, how could it possibly have been translated into Hebrew, English, Greek, whatever? So. It, it makes no sense to if if you are one who thinks that this really is from Enoch. Uh, that's let me disabuse you of that notion right away. And again, as I say, even the most uh, even there's not a Bible scholar anywhere who believes that Enoch actually wrote this. So, um, what is the what is the purpose of this, and 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 why do we have it, and and why are we we talking about it? Well. Again, it goes back to a, I think, a misunderstanding of a biblical text, uh, which is Jude one uh, fourteen, which says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and all of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's the biblical quote which is attributed to Enoch. Now in this book of Enoch, there is a similar quote uh, which says, Behold, he comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon them and destroy the wicked and reprove all the carnal for everything which the sinful and godly have done and committed against him. Similar, not word for word, but but close enough uh, that uh, that we could say, wow, that that does sound like uh, the same thing. Uh, again, and I, and I've had people say to me, well, of course this book of Enoch has to be real because uh, Jude quoted from the book of Enoch. Well, no, Jude did not quote from the book of Enoch. Jude quoted a saying that's attributed to Enoch. 
Now, because it did make it into the Bible, and I believe that the words of Jude were inspired by the Holy Spirit, I believe that that attributing that quote to Enoch is is accurate. But that doesn't mean that there was a book of Enoch at the time of Jude and that Jude was quoting from it. What it means is that this saying attributed to Enoch uh, was passed down amongst the Jews in their oral traditions. You know, the Jews were very good at, first of all, they were very good at keeping the recorded Word of God, the actual written Word of God, the Torah and the, and the prophets. They were very good at keeping those kept very accurate records of those, but they also handed down centuries of oral traditions. And and I believe it is most likely that this saying of Enoch came down from the oral traditions of the Jews. Jude would have known this uh, being uh, uh, raised in Jewish culture. This would not have been foreign to him. So the Jews have this oral tradition, and... Uh, Actually, what what actually happened with that, and they began when when the Jews were exiled to Babylon, they began to write down their oral traditions. Where you, that's where you get the Babylonian Talmud. The Talmud is the oral traditions of the rabbis written down. Now, the, you also got Kabbalah, which is mysticism. Jewish mysticism came out of that same era, uh, and the same sorts of things. And uh, you do have a definition for mysticism? Um, well, I suppose it would be similar to the word Gnosticism, which means secret knowledge. Yeah. Secret knowledge, which is only handed down to, not everyone has it, only certain people have it, and you can only get it from those people who have that knowledge. Yeah. Um, let me, I'll get into a little bit more of this in just a second, but... Um, so, so what we have here is we have a saying of Enoch, I believe, that was passed down in the Jewish oral tradition. Now, one of the problems with the Jewish oral tradition is, even in Judaism today, the oral teachings of the rabbis are considered to be on par with written scripture, the actual word of God. In fact, they are considered to be superior in some cases. Uh, of course, this is absolute foolishness because if you get into the Talmud and you read, start reading all these sayings of the Jewish rabbis, many of them are contradictory. A lot of them contradict the actual word of God. But this was the thing that Jesus criticized the Jewish religious leaders for during his day when he said, you are teaching the commandments of men as if they were the word of God, and therefore you make the word of God ineffective that's what he was talking about. He was talking about these oral traditions uh, by which they were adding to or taking away from the written word of God. And and Jesus condemned them for that. And and that that is that is one of the problems with rabbinic Judaism and still is to this day is that they take the teachings of men, the rabbis, and make these teachings equal to the written word of God, and in some cases superior to. Now, you had mentioned earlier uh, some of the things that you read in Enoch, and I'd like to add to that uh, just a little bit of some of the things that are in this book of Enoch, which okay. are completely contradictory to what we know to be God's word. Okay? And, and again, yeah. if I think 
I think it's important that we have a reverence for the Word of God and that we understand that the canon of Scripture, as it has come to us, I, I happen to believe that the God that created this universe and created us is certainly powerful enough to give us his word and maintain the integrity of that word down through the centuries. And so I believe what we have as the canon of Scripture today is accurate. I believe it is what God intends us to know, and I believe that there is everything that we need there for life and godliness. So when you come across material that is purportedly from God or purportedly some sort of Scripture, that contradicts what we know is the Word of God, uh, I think that has to be rejected. So let, let me just read a couple of things here that, that are I think are important. Um, in chapter 40 of the book of Enoch, uh, verse 2 says, Beyond number and reckoning, who stood before the Lord of Spirits, and on the four sides of the Lord of Spirits I saw four presences, different from those that sleep not, and I learnt their names, for the angel that went with me made known to me their names and showed me all the hidden things. Now, before I go any further, let me just say that some of the terminology in this book of Enoch, things like four presences uh, yeah. and the Lord of Spirits and those who sleep not, this this the book of Enoch uses a lot of terminology that is foreign to actual scripture, scripture yeah, that we do, know. Yeah. It, it's almost as if someone tried to make it sound like Scripture, but it's not quite Scripture, okay? Yeah. So anyway, he's talking here about four angels or, or uh, four presences uh, that the angel is going to make known to him. And uh, it says down here in verse 8, it says, After that I asked the angel of peace who went with me, who showed me everything that is hidden, who are these four presences which I have seen and whose words I have heard and written down? And he said to me, the first is Michael, the merciful and long-suffering. Now, Michael is a name, uh, an angelic name from the Bible. That's We confirm that. There is an angel named Michael. And the second who is set over all the diseases and all the wounds of the children of men is Raphael. Not a biblical angelic name. And the no. third... That over all the powers is Gabriel. Again, we have we do have that from Scripture. And the fourth who is set over the repentance unto hope of those who inherit eternal life is named Phanuel. And these are the four angels of the Lord of Spirits and the four voices I heard in those days. Now let me just go back and point out a couple of things about this. We have um, at least one or two here, Raphael and Phanuel. Uh, angelic names which we don't find in scripture but go back and look at the attributes of these angels or spirits first of all it says Michael the merciful and long-suffering well merciful and long-suffering are obviously characteristics of Christ himself yeah <laughs> the second is set over all the diseases and all the wounds of the children of men and his name is Raphael well once again Jesus was bruised for our iniquity. He was wounded for our transgressions. This yeah. is an attribute of Christ being yeah. given unto a supposed angel or spirit being named Raphael. The third, who is set over all the powers, is Gabriel. 
And what did Jesus say before he ascended into the Father? He said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. (laughs) Not Gabriel, me. (laughs) Jesus has all power in heaven and earth today. Hallelujah. Uh, And the fourth who is set over, and listen to this, the fourth who is set over the repentance unto the hope of those who inherit eternal life is named Phanuel. Uh, Obviously, Jesus is the hope of eternal life. He is the one who is set over the repentance unto the hope of those of us who are eternal life. So what we see here is we see in this book of Enoch the attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ being given to other angelic beings. Now, it's also interesting to know that these terms, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Phanuel, and Uriel, you mentioned Uriel. Uriel is another angel name that appears in the book of Enoch. All of those names also appear in Jewish literature, in in Talmud and in Kabbalah. Kabbalah, There are a number of angels, and they are named in this Jewish literature. Um, Here's another one from the book of Enoch in chapter 69. Um, Well, before I go there, let me just add to what I was just saying. This is why I believe that this book of Enoch was written either by a Jewish rabbi or by someone who had been heavily influenced by Jewish rabbinic literature because it uses some of these same names and terminology. And I think it's very likely that this was written, again, by a Jewish rabbi or by someone influenced by it as a... uh, as a false account or or as an a as a means of undermining this at that time early Jewish cult known as Christians. Yeah. Uh, we have to remember that in the early part of uh, as the church began to be formed in the 1st century and even into the 2nd century. Uh yeah, we, they start they began to get some uh uh persecution from the government in Rome. There's no question about that. But their greatest enemy, really, during all that time, uh, even into the second century, was the Jews. And even after the fall of Rome, there was great persecution by the Jews against Christians. And there are other evidences, there, there are other cases of documents that were written by Jewish rabbis and Jewish scholars for the express intent of undermining this belief uh, that Jesus was the Messiah. Yeah. So this this is my view on the book of Enoch and, and where it came from and how it came down to us and why it was written. Uh, I, I think there is definitely some Jewish rabbinic influence in this. And again, going back to what it says in Titus, uh, that we should not give heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn people from the truth. And I think that's absolutely the purpose of this book of Enoch. Uh, now let me and let me just give another uh, example here of something that's written in the book of Enoch, and this is found in Enoch uh, chapter 69. It says, "And the fourth, again, another angel. A fourth was named uh, Penemu. That's spelled P-E-N-E-M-U-E. And it says he taught the children of men the bitter and the sweet, and he taught them all the secrets of their wisdom." And he instructed mankind in writing with ink and paper, 
and thereby many sinned from eternity to eternity and until this day. For men were not created for such a purpose to give confirmation to their good faith with pen and ink. For men were created exactly like the angels, to the intent that they should continue pure and righteous, and death, which destroys everything, could not have taken hold of them. But through this, their knowledge, they are perishing, and through this power, it is consuming me. Now, again, we go back to a couple of themes here. One is the removal of blame from man and his own heart unto something else. This idea that uh, by using ink and paper and writing things down, man is sinning, and that that is somehow a sin against God, and that uh, men were not created for such a purpose to give confirmation to their good faith with pen and ink. I think, again, this betrays this idea of the oral tradition being superior to the written Word of God. That that idea that the oral traditions of the rabbis is superior to the written Word is ingrained in rabbinic Judaism. And I think this line here betrays that type of thinking. And it also, again, it lays blame for man's sin on this angel who taught them how to uh, read and write, essentially. Uh, so I, I find that is just absolutely ludicrous uh, that, uh, that mankind is somehow sinning by using ink and paper uh, and that this angel taught men all the secrets of their wisdom. Of course, this is this is not uh, exclusive to the Book of Enoch. There are a lot of ideas out there. And again, much of this comes down from Jewish uh, mysticism, rabbinic literature, uh, rabbinic oral teachings that say that angels interacted with men and taught them how to do all kinds of things. Now, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. It talks about how, uh, and I don't have these notes right in front of me, but it talks about how, what was it, Jubal became the father of all them who were musicians and then yes. there were others who learned how to uh, work in brass and iron and that sort of thing. So there's no hint in Scripture that angels, either fallen angels or uh, uh, good angels, had anything to do uh, with mankind learning uh, trades and learning uh, <laughs> things like chemistry and geology and all of these arithmetic, all of these things uh, that are attributed to, uh, in, in folklore, attributed to angels. Uh, uh, I, we don't see any hint of that in Scripture. In fact, even the Mormons love this book of Enoch and talk about these angels and things. So, um, I, yeah, I, I, I think the point you made, though, Steve, one of the points that, that sticks with me the most is the point that you made about Enoch came before the flood. So, how did yeah. uh, if he wrote this book, then it, how did it survive? What Noah took it on the ark, and Noah yeah. loved this book so much that he took it on the ark, so it could be passed down. It just it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, it it doesn't at all. And, uh, again, I, I think we have to understand some things, at least by implication, that uh, – and this this is my view of mankind is this. I believe that – I don't believe in evolution. I believe in devolution. I think the further we get away from creation, uh, the, the dumber we get, <laughs> to, to put it yeah. – 
in a, yeah. in a, a, a kind of a crude way. Uh, I think Adam uh, was a whole lot smarter uh, mentally, uh, a whole lot uh, intellectually and even physically much more gifted than we are today. I think that sin has taken a toll on all of mankind. Yes, we've been able to develop technology today that does what we believe to be great things, but I, I believe that man before the flood uh, had uh, intellect that allowed him to accomplish all sorts of things that we can't even imagine today. And the idea that men at one time were lived in caves and all this kind of stuff uh, and were just, you know, these troglodytes, knuckle-draggers and all that, I think is ludicrous. I think that men had great intellect. And, and the other thing was, if you believe the biblical account, men lived for hundreds of years before the flood. I mean, yeah, how much really knowledge and wisdom could you accumulate if you lived to be six, seven, eight hundred years old, and you didn't have TV rotting your brain all day long? Right, that's it. <laughs> Throw that in there. <laughs> you know, if if if, if all you had was your own natural intellect and the world around you, I mean, I bet you could get pretty smart and pretty knowledgeable and come up with all kinds of things. So anyway, that's just kind of my view of what I think is implied from Scripture. But but again, both of these things actually work together, this Nephilim idea, the Book of Enoch. Uh, it all goes back to, uh, I believe, Jewish rabbinic uh, oral traditions that uh, put the commandments and ideas of men over and above the Word of God. Uh, and and many people are taken in by these what Paul referred to as or what Titus referred to as fables, uh, and they tend to once again shift the blame for man's sin onto other beings and other excuses. And the bottom line is, when we stand before the Lord, we are not going to have an excuse. We're not going to be able to say this angel taught me how to do this, or yeah, the, the devil made, made me, do, me it. do it, none of that is going to hold any water, because it's all going to be on you, and I guarantee you, in that day, the day of judgment, you will know it, and all of this stuff will be very clear, and you what will about, understand uh, very clearly, clear. it's what all What about you. when the angels wanted to have uh, sex with, uh, when they were banging on Lot's door? Well, uh, again, these were these were humans who were banging on Lot's door. The angels were there to protect uh, uh, Lot, and apparently these angels had taken human form. Now, taking on human form, and I'm glad you brought this up because because this has been this has been brought up before. Well, maybe these fallen angels took on human form uh, and thereby had uh, sexual relations with women. Again, uh, taking on a form. Uh, does not completely, I don't believe, would give one the complete attributes of that being. In other words, uh, if a, a, a picture of someone is not that person. Uh, if an angel is able to take on the shape or form of a man, that doesn't necessarily mean, I don't believe, that he's capable of doing all those things that man would do because he it doesn't, doesn't mean have he a had blood body. or he had male body parts. He may have had male body parts, but but again, it's not a flesh body. It's still spirit. It's still uh, spirit in a form that looks like a flesh body. So that that's that's how I would answer that. Now, again, if you want to go back to the idea that 
there was demonic influence among men. I, I don't deny that in the those who were outside the presence of the Lord spiritually are influenced by the devil and his minions. We we know that today, and the Scripture talks about uh, uh, the children of uh, Satan and those who are uh, motivated and more or less controlled by uh, the that those spirits are those who are outside the presence of the Lord. So, uh, again, I, just to summarize, I think you're, you're right. If they took on the form of men, that doesn't that still doesn't give them a flesh body. It still doesn't blood. give the ability to create a human uh, a human spirit hybrid because flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. Yes. Uh, yeah, and the devil's not a creator anyway. I mean, he can't, and he's not—he's not everywhere. He's not all knowing. He's not everywhere, like God is omnipresent. The devil's not everywhere, watching everybody. He's so busy. They, the devil is just so busy. Uh, Absolutely. That's what, yeah. yeah. That's what uh, people believe. He's just so busy interfering in everybody's life every day. But uh, it's just not so. Uh, most of the time, we're our own worst enemies. But. Uh, I don't think we're going to have time to take any questions today because we're we're just about out of time here. But uh, is there anything else you wanted to say in closing? Well, I think uh, I don't know. I think we I think we kind of covered it. Um, uh, you, again, I, I think it goes back to having a reverence for the Word of God. Um, I I got a question similar to this uh, from a from a reader here just uh, earlier today about a friend of hers that that thinks that a particular book written by a false teacher is just wonderful and uh this this is a part and what i told him was this this person really doesn't have any reverence for the word of god because this particular book contradicts god's word in a number of places and they're basing their ideas on their subjective experience um if, if there's one thing that that i could convince people that they really need to do is that they really need to come to an understanding that God's word is true, and everything else is a lie. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't, careful. I don't mean be that in a literal lie. But you know what I'm saying. Uh, God's word is true. The sum of Thy word, the Bible says, is truth. And we need to get in and study to show ourselves approved. Study for ourselves. Uh, don't take other people's word for it, but allow the Holy Spirit to be your teacher. And just determine that, you know what, I believe this is truth, and if I find an area that doesn't quite make sense or contradicts, I'm going to seek the Holy Spirit about this. And and I have done that for a number of years, and I've always found that the Holy Spirit brings me to the knowledge of the truth and brings me understanding uh, about these things. So I think that is very important, and if we do that, uh, we will not be deceived. The other thing I would like to add, and uh, you said something earlier about this, about back when we were in the religious system, um, and all I have found for me, I found being in the religious system an actual hindrance to studying and understanding the truth because you are in this day and age, and I know a lot of people, well, no, my church is good, and I love my pastor, and he loves the Lord, and I don't doubt any of that. I'm sure that's true. But in today's apostate religious system, there is so much false, so much so much false ideas that are being intermingled out there 
it really helped me to get out of that and come out of that. And I just sat down with the Lord one day and said, you know what? I believe this word is true, and I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to, I'm going to let you teach me out of this word. Yeah. And if, if what I see being done in the religious world, on TV or in a church or wherever, if that does not go along with your word, I'm going to reject that, and I'm going to stick with your word. And I have found that that obviously has put me at odds with religious people in a number of situations over the years, but... I'm going to go with God's word, and, and I'm going to stick with that, and I think that we're always safe when we do that. So I would encourage people to take God's word as being the truth and study it for yourself and let the Holy Spirit be your teacher. Yeah, that w- that's really the message we want to leave with the people today is take time and put all the other books aside, all the teachings, everything and just sit down with your Bible and, and read it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Read it in context so that you'll Amen. see what it's really saying. So that's what helped me so much is when Amen. I said, I'm, I'm sticking with the word. I don't care what, who, who says what or if the word says it, I'm going with it. Amen. And um, you can have a sound mind. God hasn't Absolutely. given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, right. and a sound mind. And if and if you veer off of God's word and start looking in here and there and going, you're not going to have a sound mind. That's right. You won't have a sound mind. Right. So, well, you know, uh, what you know, I found too is that uh, it's a it's a process and it takes time and it's something that still I'm I'm still learning every day. Yeah. Because if you've been, particularly if you've been in the religious system for any period of time you already have a bunch of assumptions planted in you that may or may not be true. And overcoming these assumptions that you had uh, is a big part of the process of coming out of that and understanding the truth. There are some things that I could not understand the truth 20 years ago because I still had some false assumptions in me that caused me to see the word in a certain way yeah. It wasn't necessarily the truth, if, if that yeah. makes sense to anybody. So oh, yeah. It, it's I, a process. It way. takes it's time, a and, and I did what you did. I, For a couple of years, I didn't read any other books other than no. the scriptures. I didn't read commentaries. I didn't read anything. And, no. You know, somebody one time criticized me. Oh, Lumbly, he doesn't, He said he doesn't read anybody else's book. And I said, well, no, I said for a period of time I didn't. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, I have other books that I refer to now and read, but there was a period of time when I needed that to get all that other junk. Yeah, out of my it was thing. too much junk. It was yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was exactly. too much junk. But uh, anybody that's listening to, don't be condemned. We're not condemning you because yeah, you, absolutely, you fell into this or whatever. Look, we fell into the Word of Faith teaching. We bought it pretty heavy, and so uh, we got out of it. And that's the reason we do these shows is because we want to help you. If you're into something that's going to lead you away from the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to help you. So that's the purpose. Absolutely. Amen to that. We today. So uh, we just hope that you you got some truth today and it will help you get into the Word of God. And that's the most important thing. Well, Steve, refer people to your excellent website, please. Well, the website is www.apostasywatch.com. That's A-P-O-S-T-A-S-Y, not C-Y, S-Y, watch.com. 
although if you spell it with a C, you'll still get there, um, apostasywatch.com, and we've got lots of resources. Um, I've got several years' worth, worth of audio teaching. We've got lots of written resources, both things that I've written and from other authors uh, that I think are valuable. And uh, we have sections there on false teachers. We have sections on spiritual abuse and overcoming spiritual abuse and all those sorts of things. So we hope that you will go to the website, if you're not familiar with it, and use the resources that are there. And we're, like Susan, we're also on Facebook, and we have lively discussions every day on Facebook. We kind of use that <laughs> as a blog and post stories and, and discuss them on our Facebook page. So we hope you would join us uh, at the website or on Facebook, and um, you can email me anytime uh, from the website, and uh, I will answer you uh, uh, as I can. Sometimes I'm not always able to answer immediately, but I will get back to you uh, if you write to me. So um, apostasywatch.com, and hope to see you there. Okay, Steve, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, today. I enjoy being on anytime. Again. Love All to right, do it. Then. All right, God All right, bless. God bless you, Susan. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, everybody. Uh, sorry, I don't know if uh, people had questions, but we didn't get to your questions today. But if you do have any questions for Steve, go to his website, apostasywatch.com, or go to Facebook, and he said he will answer He will answer you, so uh, do that. Okay, but everybody, thank you so much for being with me today. God bless you. And don't forget the YouTube channel, my new book, Seed Faith, Can a Man Bribe God? That's available on Amazon and on lulu.com, L-U-L-U. And don't forget the most important thing is, are you born again? Have you made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins and give you a brand new life? Read the third chapter of John today and read the book of Romans. Give your life to Jesus today. He loves you. God bless you all. Bye-bye. I'm going to a city that's set on a hill. Its ruler and maker is the Lord God above. Oh, I'm going to a city and it's set on a hill. And someday I'll be in heaven and there'll be no sorrow there. are made of jasper and I'll see Jesus there. I'm going to the city and it's set on a hill. And someday I'll be in heaven and there'll be no sorrow there.
I'll be in heaven and there'll be no sorrow there. And someday I'll be in heaven and there'll be no sorrow there. 